recruiting ish web three world class podcast let's get it let's go the topics of discussion you cannot get from another opportunities in web three we got you covered meta intro been dope gotta thank you for the love and support that you're giving keep it coming we going up in jazz fees interviews with the crews making moves let's see it's a brand new world of nfts join in recruiting ish podcast yes please join in recruiting ish podcast yes please Meta Intro does not give financial advice. Information provided by Meta Intro is intended to be used and must be used for informational purposes only. Always do your own research on the companies that you apply to and the opportunities that you invest in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Recruiting Niche Podcast. I'm Alex, your crypto recruiter. It's Tuesday, and I'm here talking all things hiring in crypto, Web3, and AI. On today's episode, I sit down with Ken Chapman. Ken is someone that I originally connected with from a recruiting capacity but stayed connected with, and I wanted to get him on the podcast to talk about a few different initiatives. Currently, Ken's the principal and founder of T10 Ventures, his own digital assets consultant business that's working with a variety of top startups in the space on a variety of different problem-solving initiatives. Previous to T10, Ken spent time with Anchorage Digital as their head of banking and capital markets. Prior to coming into crypto, Ken worked in traditional finance with top players like Wells Fargo, BNY Mellon, and Bridgewater Associates. Today's episode, we cover a lot. We talk market commentary about all things going on within the industry, including regulation, how to approach custody, best practices, and education. Reminder, all things discussed on this podcast are of our own opinion, and they do not represent our perspective past, present, or future companies. So Ken, as far as, you know, kind of the the regulation side, seems like there's two camps within crypto. You know, first camp, which is regulation's good. Uh, Let's figure it out. We're here to work with you. Um, Let's find a path. Mm -hmm. Other side, which is kind of, I guess, the crypto native side, maybe what some people are calling it, um, you know, change the regulation for us, build a new body, um, putting forward, you know, proposals and things like that, because they don't think crypto fits within some of these existing structures. Um, Tell me a little bit about maybe, you know, where you stand on it, maybe what, you know, you've seen in the industry and and maybe where we're headed from that side. Yeah. Well, for me, you know, what I'm looking for and what a lot of people are looking for is just uh, common sense uh, regulation. <clears throat> and by that, I mean, is you know how to operate, you know, you know, you know what, the, you know, what the assets are. <clears throat> you know, for example, I, I this was something that frustrated me and it frustrated a lot of other people <clears throat> was uh, going back a few weeks ago when uh, uh, Gary Gensler, you know, testified in front of Congress <clears throat> and uh, Congressman McKinney asked him the question, you know, um, you know, Ethereum or Ether, <clears throat> um, is it a security? And uh, he wouldn't answer the question. And he asked him the question over and over again. <clears throat> and he simply wouldn't, he basically said something along the lines is like, well, if you apply, apply the current law, <clears throat> then, and you apply the Howey test, <clears throat> then you should know what it is. <clears throat> and uh, Mc, 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 McHenry asked him again, so, okay, applying that, what is it? Is it a security? <clears throat> and he flat out would not answer the question. <clears throat> and so for me, you know, whether, you know, it's uh, more clarity, um, you know, within the SEC, you know, from the SEC or, you know, another, you know, institution that's uh, developed just for this. <clears throat> to me, it, um, I, I don't really have, you know, a strong view on which way it should go. <clears throat> I, the strong view I have is we need to have clarity. And if if crypto is ever going to really, you know, take off, then the, ins- the institutions need to be involved. <clears throat> and for the institutions to be involved, they need to have regulatory clarity. And because without that clarity, they simply can't operate because right now, 
you know, they don't know how to operate. They don't know how to engage because they don't know what the rules are. And so I guess boiling it down to the most simple form is, you know, hey, tell us what the rules are, make the rules clear, and then we'll, we'll play within we'll play within the rules. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's interesting too, um, I know you attended um, the Women in Digital Assets Forum. There was another event right after the Digital Asset Summit, Stanford. You know, Hester was there. I think the other individual's name was Allison, you know, ex-SEC or SEC. It's interesting to hear people on that side talk so positively and want that same thing, right? I feel like there is this weird dynamic going on where Gensler is obviously you know, the, the four person, but there might be and is other people in right. the SEC that might have differing opinions. I, I, you know, I, this might just be personal opinion or, you know, maybe from what you've seen, but like, what, what do you think might change Gensler's mind, right? You reference like at one point it sounded like maybe he was on board with some of these things weren't. Now they are like, it seems to be some flip-flopping. People have their own opinions on why that is, but you know, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? And does that help the situation at all from, you know, for you advising startups in this kind of gray area? Well, that's kind of a million dollar question, right? And I think if um, anyone in the industry, you know, had, you know, insight into, you know, how, you know, uh, Chairman Ginsler's, you know, thinking, why he's thinking that way, um, you know, that, that, that would be great <clears throat> because I think a lot of us, you know, are, are still kind of, you know, dumbfounded and I'm not sure, you know, what it takes to get uh, to get him across the line, but also there's um, you know three three ways you know an asset could be uh, the, the, the determined to be a security, and either the SEC can come out and say hey this is a security. It can also be done by you know the courts, so going you know uh, through the courts, you know that's what's happening right now with uh, Ripple and XRP. That's in the court system, and I'm actually looking forward to seeing what that result's going to be because that'll provide some additional clarity. And then third way, uh, something to be determined to be a security is uh, is Congress passing law. And so there's a number of bills that are they're uh, working their way through Congress. <clears throat> there's a lot of testimony around uh, this space. And I think that, uh, you know, just in the past week, there's been a lot of excitement around um, this space, especially when you had the CEO of Prometheum you know, testified. Um, and basically his view was that uh, the current uh, regulations, you know, allow for you know, the current regulations work, nothing needs to change, which is completely different than what everyone else in the industry is saying. I, I, it's funny you bring that up. I just watched the, uh, the Lorshin podcast with him, their CEO, mm -hmm. Aaron, and then the guy from Paradigm. Um, interesting, right? Because it's like, it is somebody who has done it. It's a much different framework than any of the other crypto companies in market, right? Which is build first, then come back and regulate. Um for the startups that you're working with, I think they're scrambling, right? They're like, hey, what do we do? Obviously, it sounds like you're helping them out with some of that, but I've seen a couple different forms, which is, you know, we're going to work with it. We're going to understand it. The other side, which is we're going to go totally offshore, right? And go to another jurisdiction that might be more, you know, regulatory friendly. Um, have you seen any of that? Has that had success? Um, you know, what, what are some of the startups, I guess, doing in that space well, not just startups but uh we're also seeing um you know more established companies you know talking about or actually they're not just talking doing it <clears throat> you know for example you know brian armstrong from uh from uh, coinbase <clears throat> is talking about you know potentially moving the headquarters to uh to, to, to europe and i've talked to a um you know a number of companies who 
you know, said, listen, it's just, it's too difficult to operate in the United States right now. So we're going to, you know, take our operations, you know, out, outside the United States until there's more clarity. And I've also uh, talked to a number of companies that are predominantly based in Europe that were looking to enter the U.S. market this year. And basically they're postponing <clears throat> coming into the U.S. market um, just until they have clarity uh, because they don't even know how to operate. Um, and, and like I was talking to a uh, European-based uh, crypto custodian <clears throat> that was looking to come into the United States and they were looking to, you know, set up some sort of either a state trust or a bank <clears throat> to be able to provide, you know, custody inside the United States. And with given, you know, all of the lack of cl the clarity, <clears throat> and then also you, know, you have the um, NYDFS is, you know, the, you know, and the SEC are looking at Paxos. And Paxos is one of the most stand-up, you know, companies in the industry. That's a company that's known for, you know, playing within, within the rules. <clears throat> and then you got um, the SEC sending you know, Coinbase, uh, a Wells notice, and then you got enforcement actions across the industry. <clears throat> yeah, I'm seeing a lot of uh, companies move offshore um, and the companies that would have come into the United States are simply not doing that anymore. Yeah, I, I think it's good to have companies like Coinbase, right? That even in the wake of very serious, you know, things, right? Like getting these Wells notices being, you know, lawsuits are investigated, like that's a, a really big deal and it costs a lot of money and it costs a lot of time. And it's sad too, because like a, a player like Coinbase seems to be kind of the, the golden child in what you do, right? Like they right. have protected customers, they've onboarded, you know, at this point, I think, you know, hundreds of millions to crypto and still have a really great brand reputation. So it's nice to have yeah. them kind of fighting on behalf of the others who, you know, might be smaller or might not have the resources for that. Um, but then I also hear commentary that say, you know, they're abrasive, right? Like it's almost like, you know, hey, they, they shouldn't be going as hard as they should. What do you think about that? Like you think there's a middle ground or, you know, it's it's kind of, you got to push when, when push comes to shove. Well, I think, uh, you know, Brian Armstrong and uh, Coinbase, you know, it's, uh, they've been out there, you know, for years now <clears throat> trying to work with the, uh, with regulators. Um, you know, they have a, you know, people within their company that, uh, that specialize that their full-time job is to, you know, to work with, um, you know, with the regulators. <clears throat> and so they're out there trying to do the right thing. But I think at some point you, when you try, you try so hard, you know, month after month after month at some point, <clears throat> and then when you're trying to engage and then the same the regulator you're trying to engage with turns around and takes an enforcement action against you. <clears throat> I think at some point you just have to stand up for yourself. <clears throat> and, and to me, I don't, I don't see it as being aggressive. I think in, you know, it's like, you know, standing up and saying, listen, um, we want to to work with you. Help us get there. <laughs> you know, help us find, you know, the middle ground. If you don't even find middle ground, provide the clarity that we need to to, to operate. It's, it's also been awesome. I mean, at least for me, this is my first experience where there's been so much, I guess, you know, press or communication around what's going on, right? Like crypto 10 years ago, they weren't covering it like this. There wasn't resources being spent to really talk about what's going on. I think from the companies that are in it, right? They're spending the money to make sure they get out what crypto is, the messaging, why this needs to happen. Um, Coinbase being one of them, but there's obviously others. I think the other thing that's been interesting to see, you know, if, if you're not in crypto, people think crypto's dead or dying. Like right. I, the, the when you talk about the uh, intervention, right, that you got when you jumped into crypto. I get that intervention like monthly, if not weekly, sometimes from, like you said, family or friends, like, hey, isn't yeah. this thing 
dead? Is it gone? Um, you know, what do you, what do you say to those people that again, aren't in it like we are, you know, how do you convince them or, or what do you say to them to maybe show what we're fighting for? I point to a couple of different areas. Like, you know, I'll, I'll talk to them about, it's, it's not all one thing like, uh, you know, tokenization, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, that's something that's real. Um, large institutions are doing it and that's going to be something just becomes a norm in the future. <clears throat> you know, stable coins, the concept of a stable coin, <clears throat> or a central bank digital currency that's happening in different places, um, you know, in the world, <clears throat> in the United States, we have, um, you know, circle has a, uh, um, stable coin and Paxos has a stable coin <clears throat> and those are, you know, being used effectively today. <clears throat> and as far as, you know, the, you know, crypto, you know, there's, there's over 20,000, uh, uh, crypto tokens out there. <clears throat> you know, a lot of them, many of them, most of the vast majority are going to die off. <clears throat> And there's, there are, you know, a few like, you know, Bitcoin that I believe that, uh, you know, it continues on. <clears throat> and, uh, I, I, you know, if you look at, you know, go outside the United States, you go to D Dubai or you go to <clears throat> or Singapore, you know, you'll see a lot of excitement around around crypto. So <clears throat> while there might be some, you know, negative press happening here in the United States, um, you know, Bitcoin, you know, for example, is not a U.S. invention. <clears throat> it, ex it exists worldwide and that it has no borders and, you know. Bitcoin itself is still, I mean, it just it got above, you know, 30,000, you know, um, U.S. dollar in value <clears throat> per coin just here recently. And also you got, uh, I would say, take, take a look at some of the uh, biggest names out there. You got, uh, you know, BlackRock is filing for uh, a spot, uh, a Bitcoin spot ETF. <clears throat> and that's huge. BlackRock's the biggest asset, you know, asset manager in the world with over $7 trillion dollars you know, assets under management <clears throat> that you have other companies that are large, you know, household names, you know, like Fidelity planning to offer, you know, Bitcoin ETFs. Perfect. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, I, I think in terms of like, and you, you brought up a good point when, like, when we talk about, you know, the you know negative sentiment around crypto or the regulation on crypto, it's a U.S. problem, right? Like you mentioned, Kind of in the rest of the world, people are utilizing stable coins in you know places like Africa. Again, Bitcoin as a safe haven for their funds and being able to you know move money across places is being used. And I feel like it, it is unfortunate, right? But it's like for people not in crypto, there has to be a moment where they realize its use case. Like I think right. we can talk about it all we want. People see what they see when it comes to. Pepe coin and Dogecoin, and they just think these negative things. Like there needs to be maybe, again, a, a larger player or a product that integrates digital assets to where people don't think of it as crypto. They just think of it as this new technology. Um, I'm, well, I'll give you, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead please. Oh, I was going to say, I, I was going to ask about just like, what would you think an example of that would be? I know you mentioned tokenization of real world assets. Like what are some of these other things that it's not just buy, sell, hold, make money? that people could maybe use. Yeah, I'm, I'm often asked the question, you know, what's what's the use case for Bitcoin? And uh, especially with people, they, they look at it and they're like, well, it, it seems like it's useless. There's no no value to it and there's no there's no use case for it. And I think that, um, you know, for, for people that grew up and lived their entire lives in a developed country, there's a use case that may not resonate with them or they may not have thought through. And I'll kind of, you know, kind of give you where my thoughts and kind of where I came to you know, view the use case. When I was in the army, I was stationed in Greece. And in, in Greece at the time, the uh, the residents or the, the citizens of Greece did not trust their local currency. 
They didn't trust the government. They didn't trust the currency. <clears throat> and they were worried about uh, inflation. And I happened to be, I was in the U.S. Army, and I would get a paid portion of my, my salary. I get paid in um, U.S. dollars, like physical dollars, <clears throat> and I would get paid in um, $100 bills for the most part. And so I could take this brand new, crisp $100 bill, and I could take that out uh, in the local town, <clears throat> and I could get you know, $120, $130 worth of products and services because they wanted that physical, that physical uh, $100 bill and they would take it home and they would, you know, they would save it. And that was kind of their, you know, savings account. And it was also a way for them to protect their wealth and protect, you know, their livelihood and have something to fall back on if, um, you know, if things in the government and things in the banking system, you know, went, uh, went horribly wrong. And, I was I was stationed there in the um, the early '90s, and so it, as it turns out, Greece was in a better situation when I was stationed there than than it turned out to be about a decade later. But some of the people were kind of laughing and saying, "Well, these people are you know being you know absurd. There's no way that the government's gonna gonna crash. There's no way that the, the banking system's gonna you know gonna seize up." But that's exactly what happened. The, the government of Greece uh, got into uh, turmoil, and the banks uh, at some at, you know, points in time, we're not even letting uh, customers withdraw any money. So these people that um, they've taken those hundred dollar bills <laughs> that I'd given them, they had something to fall back on, and they could during that period of turmoil, they were able to keep keep uh, moving forward. And so when you look at uh, developing countries, when um, you know you're looking at okay, how if I can't if I don't trust the currency of of my of my country, <clears throat> you know what are my alternatives? Well, you have alternative. You could barter, I suppose. <clears throat> But then, you know, also, you know, having that crisp hundred dollar bill, that's another one. But then also this, uh, you know, Bitcoin, you know, the advantage that it has over that hundred dollar bill is that it's it's not physical. It's actually, you know, if, if you have to, you know, let's just say you're in a, in a disaster area or a war zone, for example, you're able to to flee or you're able to move and take your your wealth with you or your your money with you. And it doesn't matter what country you go to because Bitcoin is the same in the Ukraine as it is in Greece, as it is in any other country, it's fungible and it's, it's the same everywhere. So to me, the use case, you know, to me is an alternative to the government's money. <clears throat> Again, we can talk about this in the United States, you know, people, you know, you know, it's more difficult to understand because the United States is a more developed country. <clears throat> it's the U S dollars, the world, the world's reserve currency. So you don't really think in those terms. And you know what? Um, I hope that the U.S. dollar remains the, the world's reserve currency for a really, really long time. Because, uh, <clears throat> and I don't want that situation that happened in Greece happening in the United States. I mean, it just uh, it wouldn't be good for anybody. Well, that's that's a good point. I think that's been because I agree, right? It's like when you're in those situations, you know, if you had to and needed to move your money right now, it'd be impossible, right? To get every, all your money out of a bank in cash, they they barely barely let you as is. If you wanted to move it to another bank, right? You got to go through, you know, a new onboarding. You have to move it. There's probably some fees. There's a couple of weeks time, whatever it is. Like this is a way that allows that. But to your point about, you know, we hope that doesn't happen. That that's been the counter argument that I hear, which is, if this really does happen, right? Which is the dollar falls out and people flee to Bitcoin, like. You, how are you even going to use it, right? Like, if that's the case, it's World War Three or you know, nuclear or again, bu bullets and guns, right, are going to be worth more than Bitcoin. Do you think that's the case, or it's like again, like I even wonder, you know, hey, if if it all went down, 
you know, subs on a hardware wallet, subs not like, how would I, how would I even do it? Right. Have you thought about like worst case scenario, what that would look like? Yeah. You're kind of talking about the apocalypse, which, um, you know, I hope, uh, hope never comes <clears throat> and that's not something I'm predicting is going to, going to happen. But, <clears throat> you know, I go back to the, you know, the example of Greece is, uh, they're, they had a government that, that essentially collapsed and <clears throat> the banking system collapsed. And <clears throat> if they had had Bitcoin at the time, then they would have been, you know, able to to use that. Um, and if they needed to leave the country for, and go, go to a, a country they thought would be more favorable, <clears throat> they could take it all. And how do you feel about the options for custody right now? I mean, you mentioned like Anchorage, um, again, working with Wells, I'm sure custody was a component of that. In my opinion, like that's the hardest part of getting people to either Bitcoin or digital well, assets, right? Which is the confusing. risk of trusting somebody else like an exchange or another company, you know, there's good and bad. You have to trust that trusting yourself, right. With your keys and, or again, a hardware wallet, making sure you don't lose it, making sure nobody gets to it. Or again, in the middle, right. There's some multi-sig stuff going on and some people working on that. Um, I guess in your opinion, what, what works best? What should people be looking at that might be new? Like how, how did you get in that? How should you get, you get like familiar around different custody applications? Yeah, I'll answer that question from an individual perspective, but then also from an institutional perspective. <clears throat> On the institutional side, um, many of the institutions, especially like the registered investment advisors, <clears throat> um, are required to have uh, assets at a qualified custodian. <clears throat> so the notion that you're going to have some of these, you know, that, that a bank or a large asset manager <clears throat> is going to basically just, you know, custody their own assets. <clears throat> That's really not going to happen, and it's by you know by fe by federal law and by by regulation. And so the larger companies, that's that's where it's going to be custody. You know, at, at an Anchorage or a Paxos or Bitco or another another company. And if you if you trade with you know companies like you know like like a, an exchanges like Coinbase, you know it's going to be your your assets are going to be. Um, not your 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 own keys. It's going to be you know held, you know by the uh, by the exchange or the, in the custodian that, that the uh, exchange uses. But it's in an individual level, and I'll just talk, not making a recommendation. I'm just talking about me personally. My view would would I would do you know a hybrid approach as far as keeping you know um, my private keys, you know my keys, you know my coins, having a certain amount of my you know, assets being held, you know, directly by me, and then also having, you know, um, a certain uh, part, you know, operating with a, with a company like a, like a Coinbase or another another exchange. So for me, and I think what you there, you kind of you, you kind of dial, you know dial your level of tolerance, right? So if you let's just say you have you know a hundred thousand dollars in Bitcoin, you know, do you put half with a qualified custodian and half you, you know, manage yourself? You know where it kind of falls. You know, it's up to you know each individual what where they feel comfortable. Some people are are not comfortable unless they have all of it themselves. And there's other people that are they don't trust themselves to to be able to maintain the private keys, especially we're talking about maybe a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars. They're not comfortable doing that themselves, so they take the chance of relying on a on a third party just uh, because you know relying on the third party, you know something could go bad, but also you hold it yourself. You could lose your keys if you're if you're not competent. Yeah, that's, that's, I think, you know, even when I was getting into crypto, right, it was like, what's the risk level, right? Like if, if you're going to be 
you know, kind of self-sovereign, you know, not, not relying on anybody else. It's like that comes with increased risk, but again, maybe more flexibility or, you know, faster mobility, or, you know, again, somebody have an issue with, you know, again, whatever it is with exchanges. And I think the other thing that's been like a, a funny thing to watch, I agree with it, but I, I get interesting feedback is like the leaders of exchanges, you know, Brian Armstrong, Jesse from Kraken, Jack, um, you know, from Square and, and Cash App, you know, tweeting, not your keys, not your coins, yet running an exchange that holds keys. Like, how do you think about maybe that dynamic about, you know, them telling you to self-custody, but also offering custody? Like, do you think that sometimes is a conflict or confusing to individuals? Yes, I, I can see where that that uh, would be confusing to individuals where you have, you know, leaders of exchanges, you know, coming out saying, not your keys, not your coin. <clears throat> Uh, but then on the other hand, um, if you know customers are doing you know business or trading with uh, with these exchanges, in many cases that uh, custody is being provided and it's it's, and it's not being self custody. <clears throat> and I would say that uh, the one thing that you know individuals you know need to be aware of is <clears throat> if you are trading with an exchange, <clears throat> you really should understand you know what how they're providing custody and who they're providing custody with. <clears throat> you know, if uh, I think SC, this is one of the things that I agree with the SEC on. <clears throat> Is that as, as exchanges should not be providing custody themselves. That custody should be split out, and um, and that provides more safety for um, for the, the consumers and also for the individuals. Where if you are going to have to rely on an exchange, have that have those assets in custody at a uh, a bankrupt in a at a bankruptcy remote uh, qualified custodian because you know. But anything in the middle there, if, there's not, if you're not holding your own your own private keys and it's not with a qualified custodian, any other option out there, you should run away as fast as you can. That's a great point. And I think that's that's been the most interesting thing, I think, for me as a user of crypto is how aware you become of, you know, looking into these details, right? Like some when I signed up for a bank account, you know, when I was, I don't know, 12 years old, putting money in, I never thought about the terms and conditions you never really understand what they're doing with it. Uh, you know, credit cards are a foreign thing. Like, again, you, you need to learn, you need to look into it. I think that's a cool component to digital assets, which is it enables you to really take some of that power back, but it is a responsibility. How, you know, for you yourself, or if you're recommending people, you know, in getting into the industry, you know, what are some good outlets to learn these best practices or to find trusted answers for some of these kind of complex questions that might come up in your journey to, you know, purchasing custody and using digital assets. As far as, you know, keep, you know, understanding what's happening in the industry, um, you know, things, thing about our industry that makes it uh, fun to be in also a bit unique <clears throat> is that things change constantly. You know, if I would, I mean, I stay plugged in every single day, weekends too, <clears throat> as far as what's happening in the industry, what's going on. I mean, I feel if I were to unplug for a month, I'd come back and I'd be like, guys, I was gone for a month. What did you do to the place? <clears throat> so I would say for, for people trying to understand, you know, what, what's going on is there's a, a number of, you know, media outlets out there, <clears throat> you know, this podcast, but also, you know, outlets like, you know, uh, Coindesk or The Block, <clears throat> you have like uh, really good content. And I would say that uh, um, and also if you're inclined to do it, um, you know, crypto Twitter, um, uh, where you're able to, uh, you know, follow certain people within the, uh, the crypto community. <clears throat> and I tell you that's, that is a source of, of, you know, minute by minute information there. <clears throat> I mean, when the whole thing was happening with F FTX, that was playing out on Twitter 
before he even made any kind of media. <clears throat> and the same thing when uh, Silicon Valley Bank, you know, uh, went under, <clears throat> that was playing out, playing out real time on Twitter, <clears throat> like blow by blow. So I would say that, you know, to find out what's going on in the industry is just get connect connected to, um, you know, news sources and, you know, definitely do Twitter, <clears throat> you know, to be able to get that information in. But, I, you know, you know, fair warning, it's things are changing very fast. They're changing quickly. And uh, um, but, hey, it's it's a, it's a fun ride if you can if you can if you can do it. Yes. Uh, crypto Twitter is is an interesting place, right? It's like there's so much going on. There is a science to figuring out who to follow. Again, there's accounts that have great details. There's a lot of accounts that's just just, just the shit posting and kind of some yep. weird stuff. You got to have a little bit of both, right? I think that's yep. the fun of crypto Twitter. And I think too about learning in crypto. I think the the feedback that we get from candidates trying to find their way, right, is it's a journey, right? You're yep. never an expert. Even the experts say they're not, right? And yep. they're always learning. Um, and I, I think that's the biggest component which is interesting about crypto right now, like for people looking to get into it, right? Which is we're on the forefront of tech. You know, there's been waves of tech and this is one that we're in. Um, I, I know you recommend it, but like, again, if you're talking to somebody coming from web two or somewhere else that's on the fence about getting into crypto, you know, what would what would you say to convince them to, to come join the dark side? Well, I wouldn't try to convince them because I think it's one of these things, you know, kind of like the matrix and taking the red pill. You have to... <clears throat> You have to do it yourself. That it's got to be. You have to see it and decide this is what you want to be a part of. Because uh, I've never ever convinced you know, try to talk somebody into you know moving into the space. I've had people come to me and I'll talk to them and you know give them my thoughts. But you know I think that if you're going to consider it, I would get out and talk to as many people as you can, learn as much about the industry as you can, the good, the bad, the ugly, and then you know also to move to get into the industry, you, you have to have some also have to have uh, some belief and, and conviction that, um, you know, whether it be, you know, blockchain as a technology, <clears throat> Bitcoin or other, um, you know, other you know, crypto assets, <clears throat> you know, you, you have to, you know, believe that um, this has a future. <clears throat> it's real. It has a future. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, and if you don't believe that <clears throat> and you're just getting in it, getting into it to have a job, don't recommend it at all because the industry is moving so fast. And if you don't have sort of, some sort of conviction and skin in the game, um, you're not going to, you're not going to enjoy it. That uh, that's a great point. I think that, you know, the, the two statements, especially like you said, when people, people ask you all the time, right? They see crypto and they get excited. Obviously some of that excitement may have uh, boiled down now versus, yep. you know, in 2021, everybody from <laughs> my cousins to my friends from high school and middle school were like, how do I get into crypto? Let's go. Now I think it's a little bit more subdued and I've had to learn and say multiple times, you know, this is my opinion, right? It's not financial advice. And like you said, you got to make the choice. Um, well, it, it sounds like you're bullish, but you know, I, I'm curious with everything going on, bearish or bullish, if you had to pick one, you can pick in the middle too, um, you know, for this next, you know, a couple years while we go through, you know, some of some of this market and some of this, this kind of fight that comes with what we're doing. Um, how are you feeling? I'll break it down for tokenization of real world assets, bullish, uh, stable coins, uh, bullish for, um, you know, the top, you know, 10, um, crypto assets by market cap <clears throat> leaning toward bullish, um, that, you know, I would say cautiously, optimistically bullish. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, to me, I, I'm not uh, negative on any of it. I don't, I don't see any of it, 
uh, going away, except there's like 20,000, you know, crypto assets out there. <clears throat> the top, you know, the, t the top, you know, few that, that, uh, that have real value will stick around. <clears throat> the rest, the rest of them, I'm completely bearish on. <clears throat> and I don't even touch them, don't look at them, um, just because I think that they fall by the wayside. I agree. Yeah, I think that's, that's also what you learn in crypto, right? Like you find what works for you, what doesn't. I know some people, you know, have use case in some of those or, you know, they're trading meme coins. It's more of a fun thing. Like I, I think, you know, again, I'm, I'm in the middle too, where for institutions and retail customers, it's going to change, but in a good way. Right. And I think that's for a positive. Um, well, as, as you know, kind of tradition on the podcast, we always let the guest have the last word by no means is you do, it's open game, whatever you want to say, you know, again, either to, you know, pitch yourself, pitch your consulting opportunity, any startups you're working with, anything you're excited about, advice, anything like that, you get the last word on the Recruiting Niche podcast. Okay. <clears throat> well, just, I'd like to say, you know, thank you very much for inviting me to be on your podcast. It's uh, it's an honor to, uh, to to appear here. And I would also just, um, you know, say that, uh, as I've said within within the, the podcast, that, uh, you know, it's, it's even though we've gone into, an, into another crypto winner here, <clears throat> there's been crypto winners before. <clears throat> We've always come out of them, and the crypto winners are, are times where you see the people that have conviction, <clears throat> the people that are serious, continuing to, be, to build out the ecosystem, continue to build out uh, the community. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I think we'll all, all be here together when this uh, when it picks up again. And I, and I am, like I mentioned before, you know, I am, uh, you know, uh, bullish here. So it's, uh, you know, we're going to get there. We're going to get there together. We're going through, going through some pain, but, uh, you know, no pain, no gain. I agree. I agree. It was something funny. Uh, you know, Brian Armstrong, we were at Coinbase and some of the OGs at Coinbase used to say that, right? Like earn your stripes. Bear markets are where you build. I know that might be an overused term, but it's again, it's cool to think when this is over, we weren't the ones that ran away. Like we were the ones that helped push. And on the other side, like you said, it, it will get there. It'll be better when it happens. So, well, Ken, thank you for joining the Recruiting Ish podcast. To anybody listening, we're going to include Ken's links to his socials in the show notes so you can connect with him, um, as well as if you know, you're know you a startup looking for some consulting advice from a, a top professional, definitely give him a shout. Um, for the next episode, um, we're working to find guests. So if you're interested in joining, shoot us a message on Twitter, LinkedIn, Discord, or Telegram. We look forward to the next week's episode.